0: The topic this morning here is the single biggest problem in the world. Now, uh, when you say something like that, everybody wants to know, because everybody has a different idea of what the single, single biggest problem in the world is, and when you talk to a group of Christians, people will say, well, the biggest single problem in the world is... Sin, right? We, we say yeah. Sin, sin is the biggest problem. But we're going to narrow it down a little bit more because uh, sin is such a broad term. So we're going to look at a couple of other things about how uh, this kind of things uh, work. Now, let me just wake up my computer. It went to sleep here. Huh? There we go. In the year 1991, something very interesting happened. 1991 was the first international conference for the elimination of coronary artery disease was held here, I believe it was in the United States. And uh, this was also just shortly after um, Dr. Dean Ornish has published his papers on uh, the studies that he's done on significant intervention, lifestyle-wise, on people who had coronary artery disease and that were in need of bypass surgery. And he was able to show that by lifestyle changes alone, and through diet and exercise and all those kind of interventions, that, that you were able he was able to show on angiogram that you can actually reverse people's blockages to their hearts, and they were not, didn't need to have uh, bypass surgery done, plumbing on their heart. And so uh, all this uh, research was discussed at this convention. And uh, so you would think that this was in 1991, that if we had implemented all these things, that uh, we would have gotten rid of heart disease by now. I mean, this is now uh, almost uh, uh, you know, 30 years later. But did it happen? Did not happen. Why has it not happened? Why couldn't we take this information and do something with it, and get rid of this thing called heart disease, which still kills the most people every year in the United States, prematurely. uh, In this nation, not just in this nation, but worldwide. Is it uh, because there was uh, not enough evidence or scientific information? It's not because of that. There's more than enough evidence available for uh, uh, for us to make those conclusions. Is it due to a mental illness that is prevalent in almost every person in the world? Maybe. And I'm going to suggest to you that it is, because there is a mental illness that we all suffer from that uh, is the cause of this. And that mental illness is called the lack of self-control. What is self-control? Self-control is the ability... Uh, jumped on me here. Uh, self control is the ability to keep ourselves from acting on our behavioral and emotional impulses. Sounds pretty simple. All we need to do is we need to be in control of our behavior and we need to be in control of our uh, emotional impulses. So, self control failure, according to uh, Uh, Dr. Baumeister, which is one of the most quoted uh, psychological researchers in the world, uh, and he states there that self-control failure is central to nearly all the personal and social problems that currently plague citizens of the modern developed world. It is the number one problem in the world for everything. So, lack of self-control, Uh, there's many things that we can see that has a problem with that. Depression, for instance, when we look at depression. uh, Depression is a lack of controlling our automatic negative thoughts and the way we think. And if you have come through the Depression Recovery Program, we now know that uh, poor thinking or distorted thinking is one of the main reasons for mental illness. And so if we can control our thoughts we will suffer emotional illness. Cancer is a lack of self-control because of the things that we do to ourselves. Uh, Unwanted pregnancy is a lack of self-control in our world. Adultery and divorce, lack of self-control. Underachievement, it's a lack of self-control. Financial failure, when we look in our country here today when we realize that we're the most indebted country in the world and when we, on a national level. So even on a national level, we have no control over these things. What about on a personal level, you know? When we look at personally in people's financial lives, most people struggle financially and are living from paycheck to paycheck and are in debt and cannot control their expenses, and they always live above their means, spend more money than what they get in. So it's a lack of self-control. Relationship problems techno addiction now one of the later things a major problem because we cannot control What we put into our minds and what we keep ourselves busy with heart disease we've talked about already diabetes Lack of self-control sexually transmitted diseases is not the cause of some virus that flows around It's because of lack of self-control uh, Stroke uh, alcoholism Major issues with self-control murder rape. But you know, this whole issue of self-control is not a, it's not a new thing. It's been around for many, many years. It's been around for a long time. Uh, when we look in the book of Romans, chapter 7 and verses 15 to 23, Paul tells us about self-control. And he says here, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. So Paul says, you know, I understand this whole thing of self-control, but self-control is hard. It's not an easy thing to do. And then he goes on in verse 19, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And so you can see and sense a little bit of frustration here in Paul's life that he's realizing, you know, that uh, I have a problem with this. And if we look at Paul's life, you know, we think of Paul as somebody that's a pretty successful person, Right. Right, he did a lot of things. He wrote most of the New Testament uh, in the Scriptures. He continues on to say, "There's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me." And then he goes on in verse 24 to say, "Oh, what a miserable and wretched person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death?" How many of of you feel like that this morning? We all struggle with this thing. Now, we know what we're supposed to do, but somehow we just don't have the energy and the resources to put it together and actually do it. We know we're supposed to exercise. And we've got the shoes, we've got the gear, we've got the clothes, but we just don't do it. We know we're supposed to lose some weight. You know, we've got the books, we've got everything, we've got the videos. uh, We have all the knowledge, but somehow we just don't put it into practice. You know, most people will say, you know, don't talk to me about these kind of things. I'm okay. I'm doing all right. You know? But many times we find ourselves in the intelligence trap. You know what the intelligence trap is? The intelligence trap is uh, people that feel that they are okay. They are what we would call lukewarm. All right? Lukewarm is a normal condition, isn't it? You know, cold is uncomfortable. Hot is uncomfortable. But lukewarm feels good. It's body temperature or room temperature. It's normal. And so we want to feel normal. And so the Bible talks about normal people in Revelation chapter three and verse 17 it says, because you say I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I have a need of nothing. And I do not know that I'm wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So these are people that feel normal. They're comfortable where they're at. And so the Bible says, there's a secret to that. Uh, And the Bible also talks about that when we are normal, God says, I will spew you out of my mouth. So God doesn't like normal people. He wants us to be on fire or cold. And the reason for that is it's very difficult to to get normal people to make any changes in their lives because they don't think that they need it. They think they are okay. You know, I've got my TV and I've got my six pack and I've got my, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, cockroach infested apartment. I'm fine. Leave me alone. And so when people are comfortable, they don't see the need to change. And so God says, I'll rather have somebody that's either out of the church totally cold, or somebody that's hot because I can do something with them. I can motivate them to change or to be on fire for me. And so lukewarm, God doesn't like, and He doesn't want lukewarm people. So what is the secret to avoid this wretchedness that the Bible talks about? What is the secret of avoiding this wretchedness? You know, as Christians, we have a different word for self-control. We call it temperance. All of us have heard of the word temperance, you know. And so, uh, we're just giving it another name. And so, temperance is the moderation in the things that are healthy, and it talks about the abstinence of things that are unhealthy. Now, uh, strict temperance requires not just regular self-control. You know, we are all self-controlled in some sense. We're controlled in some sense. You know, we make sure that we're on time for our, our jobs, You know, we get up on time, we go, we're very controlled with that to make sure that we don't get the boss upset and that we're on time for our work and things. Uh, And so all of us are very controlled, self-controlled, in certain aspects of our lives. Let's think about Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, has become Mr. Universe for several years. And he's probably going down in the history of the world as one of the best or the best bodybuilder that has ever lived, and uh, who knows, maybe ever will live, you know, so uh, uh, incredible self-control. If you think of his life, I mean, in order to be able to build muscles and and exercise like that, you better be quite self-controlled in what you eat, and when you get up in the morning and you exercise, and whether it's raining or it's not raining, or whether you feel like it or you don't feel like it, you have to be out there and, you know, pump that eye and, and do and follow the program, and he did, and it paid off. He was very, very self-controlled when it came to his uh, exercise regime and making him Mr. Universe. But, you know, one day in his house, he wasn't so self-controlled when his maid was around there and he was by himself, and he got himself into some trouble that broke up his home and his marriage and his wife and his family. So he had self-control but he didn't have comprehensive self-control. You See, what we need in order to be successful at this temperance thing is we need to have comprehensive self-control. We need to be controlled in every aspect of our lives. It doesn't help if we're just self-controlled in one aspect or a little bit in the other aspect. We need to have it everywhere. Now, when you think of self-controlled people, what do you think about Do you, do you like people that are self-controlled? What does our society think of self controlled people? We think they're a little nerdy, all right? They're kind of little eccentric kind of people, you know? We think of self controlled people, people that are really disciplined and they're not spontaneous, you know? They just don't like easygoing, casual kind of people. We think of them in a negative way. And so, In our endeavour to measure this class of strengths, we have found that among people in the mainstream developed world, strengths of temperance are infrequently endorsed and seldomly praised. As a matter of fact, we actually mock people that are self-controlled. But regardless of the strengths of temperance are very important, and they have a rich array of positive consequences for the psychological good life. there are some very good things about being self-controlled, and we're going to look at some of those here uh, this morning. This comes from Character, Strengths, and Virtues, page uh, 431. And so, uh, so the studies on self-control is, is quite difficult, because it's, it's hard to find measures to measure it by, because people have to be honest, and there's questionnaires that you have to go through for people to figure out, how self-controlled am I? So you first have to measure it. So we're just going to go through a. Some questions, and some of the questions that I ask people, and then you don't have to give the answer out loud, but just think for yourself as to how well do you measure in these things. Uh, Give yourself a one if you're not at all, or a five if it's very much so. I'm good at resisting temptation. So when you're all by yourself and temptation comes up, how well do you do at resisting that? I have a hard time breaking bad habits. Um, Are you good at that, or do you struggle with those kind of things? I do certain things that are bad for me if they are fun. Do I make excuses? Do I rationalize on certain things, even though I know that it's not good for me? Uh, I do certain things that I I have trouble saying no to things, especially when I'm with my friends or with other people. How well do I do there? Uh, Getting up in the morning is hard for me. I blurt out whatever is on my mind. Do I think before I speak, or do I just speak and then I think? I spend too much money. I keep everything neat. Or is my place a mess? What about my car? What does my car look like? Can I invite somebody at any time to come and drive with me in my vehicle? Without having them climb over an optical course? I, carried out, uh, carry, uh, uh, I get carried away by my feelings. I do many things on the spur of the moment. I don't keep secrets very well. Am I a gossiper? Or do I keep secrets well? I often interrupt people. That's also a, a characteristic of a self-controlled person. Don't interrupt other people. I'm always on time. I'm not easily discouraged. I eat healthy foods. Pleasure and fun sometimes keep me from getting my work done. Do you get distracted by all those pop-ups on your computer when you're busy with a a task that you need to do and all these other things are popping up or before you know you're off on another place on your computer instead of doing your work? I've trouble concentrating. Sometimes I can't stop myself from doing something even if I know it is wrong. Is that you? I'm able to work effectively towards long-term goals. So those are some of the questions that they usually ask people and, and determine whether you are a high self-control person or a low self-control person. So high self-control people, uh, it's linked to better personality adjustments. So people that are highly self-controlled, they do well in life. They have a higher self-worth. Uh, they uh, are better at controlling their anger. So there are definite positive... Uh, Characteristics, few symptoms of somatization, so these people don't, when something happens to them, uh, exaggerate things, or, you know, my back sore, or, you know, everything hurts, or complaining about stuff. obsessive compulsive patterns are less, Uh, they don't uh, have uh, fewer symptoms of depression, anxiety, hostile anger, phobic anxiety, paranoia ideation, and even psychotic tendencies. So, there are many, many very positive things, and this was done out of two studies. In 2010 and in uh, 2000. So, people with, with high uh, self control accept themselves as valuable, worthy individuals, and are relatively able to sustain a favorable view across time and circumstances. Now, we're not talking here about people that are narcissistic. You know, narcissists will, will be somebody that has these same kind of things, but it becomes self inflated. So, we're not talking about that. We're just talking somebody with a healthy concept of themselves and of self-worth. And so this comes from uh, the same study in a book that was written by Tangley on page 299. So, uh, so people with high self-control are more conscientious. They're harder, hard-working people. Uh, they are more emotionally stable. You know, that only uh, speaks for itself. Uh, they're better at relationships and, uh, with, uh, and they are better relationships partners um, because they just don't say whatever's on their mind. They think before they speak. Um, they get along better with other people, and that speaks for itself as well. They're more accommodating, they uh, are more satisfying in their relationships, and they are better adjustment in, in the relationships with other people. Uh, it comes from the same uh, research article. So, uh, um, people with high self-control are, have better family cohesion in their families, less interpersonal conflict, Better perspective and better empathy. You know, it's getting better. These are all good, very good characteristics. They don't wallow in their own personal uh, reactions to other people's problems. You know, they can, they can move on with things. They more, uh, have more secure interpersonal attachments. Um, manage their money well. You know, how well are we doing as a nation as far as self-control is concerned when we look at America as a nation? We don't do very well. You know, America has the most credit card debt of any nation in the world because people cannot control uh, their spending. They buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. And so uh, we we spend money we don't have. And so uh, that's just the one thing, and it's uh, affecting our lives in many, many ways. Um, money problems and money issues is probably the number two, I think it is the number two reason for divorce. After uh, unfaithfulness and adultery. So a lot of people argue and fight over how the money is spent. And so uh, what about drugs? What about uh, drug addictions? What about smoking? What about caffeine? How well and how self-controlled are we as a nation on that? What about television or media? So you can see there's many areas of our lives where a lack of self-control has a lot of detrimental effects on how we live and how successful we are in our lives. Um, In the course of daily life, in spite of their best efforts at self-control, people inevitably sin and transgress at least on rare occasions. And this is all because of cognitive distortions. You know, we tell ourselves, you know, I can afford to eat this piece of cake, because I'm just going to exercise a little bit more tomorrow, and so, or I'm going to start my diet next week. And so we we rationalize, and we have distorted uh, thinking, and that leads us to make uh, decisions that are not good for us. So people with high self-control score relatively low in shame and high in shame-free guilt. So even though they make mistakes, they can recover from those mistakes that they make more easily. I'm not saying that somebody who has comprehensive self-control are never going to fall, are never going to make a mistake, or never say something that they're not supposed to say. Uh, We're not talking about somebody that lives the the perfect life. Uh, Even Paul admitted that, you know, I know what is right, but I struggle with this. But even when you do make a mistake, uh, you recover from that easily, you know, even... In the Bible, it says a righteous man, it doesn't say a righteous man never falls. It says a righteous man's falls seven times, but he gets up. And so uh, when we fall and we make a mistake, we don't just stay down the doldrums there and then say, well, I've kind of eat this one slice of this chocolate cake. I may as well finish up the whole thing, you know, and then make the problem worse. And then I have to deal with more issues later. And so... Uh, individuals with high self-control are inclined to take responsibility for their transgressions rather than externalizing and blame and minimize the importance of the transgression. So they move on and they recover from these things much easier and quicker. In short, having done wrong, high self-control people are inclined to focus on the effects of their behavior and in so doing are inclined to make amends. So they look at what is this doing to me and they ask very important questions. What is the price I'm gonna pay for doing this wrongful thing or uh, how is this gonna affect my life? And so they can learn from their mistakes and from their bad decisions. In contrast, low self-control individuals are more apt to experience painful feelings of shame, an emotion that is often provokes defensiveness, denial, and rather than repair and redemption of the situation. So, they kind of begin to spiral into even more distorted thinking, and that's why you can see that th- this kind of thinking will lead to emotional disorders, like anxiety and depression. So, what are the drawbacks? Are there any negatives? You know, we've talked about all the positives of uh, um, um, self-control, comprehensive self-control. What are are the negatives? Are there any negatives? The research actually shows that there are no scientific studies anywhere demonstrating any undesirable consequences of high self-control people. So there's really nothing negative about it. And so... uh, the test that they've, seen, that they've done there to see if excessive self control or over control might produce negative consequences, but no negative patterns were found. So you cannot be too self controlled. Well, that's good to know. So there are no negatives to self, high self control. Although in our society, there may exist a stereotype of an over controlled person. You know, when somebody is overly controlled, we sometimes. Call them they're narcissistic or they, you know, a controlling person. And so, uh, one who is overly restrained, cautious, uptight, and not spontaneous, we see no evidence that self control is actually to be blamed in those individuals' lives. They have other issues and they have other distorted thinking and other distorted uh, patterns in their minds that actually is the cause for their being over controlled. It's not really because they are highly self-controlled people. So how do we develop self-control? When we've talked about this, we all want it, it looks like a good thing to have, and if you don't have it, you see a slew of things that can go wrong, and your life can be quite miserable if you don't have proper self-control. So how do we actually get self-control? And this is what the... Uh, research and the medical literature that's out in the world actually says, it says relatively little is known about how self-control is acquired and strengthened. And they say that the topic must actually be regarded as high priority for further research, especially in view of the many benefits that self-control confers. So they realize That, yes, we all want it, but how do we really get it? We're not totally sure about how it's done. We need more research. We need to check this thing out more. This is also written in the book Character Strengths and Virtues, page 509. So uh, how do we do this? Because there's not a lot of things out there that actually tells us. Most acts of self-control involve overcoming some incipient response to the immediate situation in order to pursue some greater long-term benefit. You know, it's like a delayed gratification. And that's one of the hardest things that one teaches uh, everybody, Um, especially children. You know, they've done many studies on these kind of things uh, where they will have kids in a room and they will put candy on the table and they say, well, you can have one, you can only have one, but if you don't eat any of them, when I come back, then you can have two or four. And almost none of the kids are able to resist taking the one now for two or three later. And so it's a difficult thing but for us humans adults it's like that too you know I've got to have that new car I got to have it now you know the price is right now the monthly payment is only so much and I can afford it. And so we don't always postpone it and realize that later on we can maybe even afford a better car or a better situation, or a better house, when I'm in a better financial situation. So this is something that is difficult for us to comprehend. Hence the ability to transcend the immediate situation is crucial. We need to be able to look beyond just the benefit I'm going to get right now temporarily. People who live only in the present moment are unlikely to exhibit good self-control, whereas future-mindedness will facilitate self-regulation. So we need to look beyond. You know, and the Bible talks to us about that. It says in the book of Hebrews, you know, when you look at the life of Moses, Moses was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was next in line to be Pharaoh. And he had all the benefits and all the wealth that the kingdom had to offer. But the Bible tells us that Moses looked beyond that to the king of kings and it says he refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter even though he had all of that he chose to be a slave the bible says with the people of god because he had incredible self-control because he saw that i could give up the pleasure for right now for a pleasure that is much much greater and so where's moses right now all right, he's alive with God in heaven. All right, so, uh, so it pays off to have comprehensive self-control, okay? So uh, we need to be able to uh, give up the pleasure just for right now. And so in order for us to do that, and we brought that up in our Sabbath school lesson a little bit this morning, is a thing which is called bright lines, okay? When you have rules in your life, okay, that you have certain things that I absolutely don't do that, Or, I absolutely made a decision that this is something I don't do. Uh, The more of those bright lines or solid decisions you have in your life, the easier it is for you to learn to control yourself. So, people need bright lines to help them with their self control. Bright lines are zero tolerance areas in your life, right? Where total abstinence with no exceptions at any time. So, for me personally, Uh, the devil doesn't come to me or people doesn't come to me and tempt me with smoking. This is not a problem. I've never tried it. I've never wanted to. And I have absolutely no desire. And I can honestly stand before you and say, I will never smoke. Because it's not a temptation to me. But there may be other things that I have a problem with. And so when you have a solid decision, zero tolerance decisions in your life, those things, the more of those things you have, the better you can develop comprehensive self-control. if you believe that rule is sacred, so if that is a commandment of God, or the Bible says so, or some real strong authority, or whatever you use in your life as a a model, or a basis for truth, or absolute truth in your life, the more that is so, the stronger that conviction, and that bright line becomes. So when the scripture says so, or my church says so, or when you're a kid, my parents says so, or whatever the, uh, the uh, reason is, the stronger and the more effective you will be at making that decision. It becomes an especially bright line. And so, if we do that, uh, you know, we will rediscover the greatest human strength, which is willpower. It's a book that was written by uh, Baumeister as well, and some of his other uh, colleagues there. So, we all want that. And so we need to practice those kind of things. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 32, He that is slow to anger is better than mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. Because of self-control. We need to be able to control our own thoughts, our own will, and our own desires, and put aside our immediate gratification that we want right now. That is what self-control is. He he that has conquered self, the strongest foe man has to meet. The highest evidence of nobility in a Christian is self-control. He who stands unmoved amidst of a storm or abuse is one of God's heroes. So God wants us to be able to be calm under a storm. When everything around us seems to going south and is out of control. He who has learned to rule his spirit will rise above the slights, the rebuffs, the annoyances to which we are daily exposed. And these will cease to cast the gloom over his spirit. From My Life Today, page 70. So God wants us to have comprehensive self-control. It is God's purpose that the kingly power of sanctified reason, controlled by divine grace, shall swear sway in the lives of human beings. He who rules his spirit is in possession of this power. Wow. Don't we want that power in our life? A man or a woman who preserves the balance of the mind, when tempted to indulge passion, stands higher in the sight of God and heavenly ages than the most renowned general that ever led an army to battle and to victory. So yes, we have some serious battles to fight in our lives, and that battle is against self, against ourselves, and doing it my way. And I want it, and I want it now. So bright lines are the first thing that assists us in helping with uh, uh, developing comprehensive self-control. We need to have worthy goals put goals out for ourselves that we want to uh, reach. And then we've also talked about enhancing the frontal lobe. The whole program of the depression is about getting our frontal lobe switched on because if we don't have a frontal lobe, we are unable to make proper decisions because your frontal lobe is that part of your brain where your morality lies and where your decision-making lies, where you make decisions between what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And so we need to focus on getting our frontal lobes awake and alert and giving it the right nutrition and that's why lifestyle change is so important exercise don't smoke eat good food and uh, sleep enough get some sunshine drink enough water do all these things is all to improve your circulation not just for your heart you know the research now i've shown that all these lifestyle changes are more important for your brain than what it actually is for your heart you know, we all want to go and jog because we want to be fit. We want to have our muscles. We want to g- improve our aerobic capacity and all these kind of things. But it's actually more important to our brains so we can think properly. And so that's what we need to do. And that will slow down our limbic system that is an overdrive as well. Our limbic system is that part of the brain that works on our emotions. And, you know, when you look at what's going on in the advertising industry, uh, people don't make decisions based on Intelligence decisions, they make decisions based on their emotions. How they feel, how this product they're going to buy make them feel. You see, they use a drug because it makes them feel good. We use alcohol because it changes our state of mind. It makes us feel good. Even though we know that it has bad effects. And it's going to kill us. And it kills our brain cells. And it destroys our family. And it destroys our lives. And do all kinds of things. We still do it because it makes me feel good. Now. Now. And so uh, we need to slow down our limbic systems and do things that is uh, based on making a proper decision, intelligence decision, in our, in our brains. So uh, how do we develop the failure-safe solution to comprehensive self-control? What young men and women need is Christian heroism, the true The rule to rule the spirit means to keep self under discipline. God's abounding love and presence in the heart will give the power of self control and will mold and fashion the mind and the character. What what does it say there? It says, uh, God's abounding love and presence. This is not something that we possess, this is not something that is naturally inherent to us. This is something that we need to allow God to do in our lives. That's why Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, you know, in the English language, love is, uh, uh, the word love is just used everywhere. Love for my cat, love for my wife, love for my sports, love for myself. It's all the same word. But in the scriptures, there's many different ways and words that are used for love. You know, most of the word for love is the passionate, erotic kind of love that we have in the world today, and there's nothing wrong with, with that kind of love. It's also part of love, but that's not the only love that there is. There's also love of principle, and uh, agape, or truly godly love, and you know, Jesus always take and puts the, the stakes higher. God says, don't just love uh, those who love you. God says, even love those who hate you. So God wants us to always go a step higher because he knows the benefit that we can draw from that and, the, and what it will do for us. Not, God doesn't say things just to make life hard for us. He knows that if we do what he says, then we will derive even more benefit from it. And God only allows things in our lives that he knows is going to make us into better people, even the bad things. Even the bad things in our lives has gone through God's office. Nothing in this world happens to us that God doesn't permit or allow or cause because he is ultimately in control. And so we need to treasure hunt these bad things and see what good can we learn out of them so that this doesn't happen again. And so those are the things that God wants us to do with this. If we would be true lights in the world, we must manifest the loving, compassionate spirit of Christ. To love as Christ loved means that we must practice self-control. It means that we must show unselfishness at all times and in all places. But we know it's better to give than to receive. The more we give, the more we receive. And so the more unselfish we are, the more happy we will be. And the more we will have the self-control. know, talk like this, you know, sometimes people talk about the upside-down gospel, you know, uh, God in Jesus' message is an upside-down gospel. Jesus said, you know, if your enemy asks you to carry his pack for him one mile, don't carry it one mile, do it two miles. You know, that just goes against the normal way people think. But you've now already seen that God doesn't like normal people. Okay? He wants us to be abnormal, okay, for him. And that's why Paul also Says, I am a fool, I am an imbecile for Christ. He says, Because the gospel looks like foolishness to the world, but to them that are in Christ, it's the power of salvation uh, of God unto salvation. So that's what God wants for us to love like Him. So the key to self control is self sacrifice, we have to let go of self. And the way we self sacrifice is to practice self sacrificing love. Give to others first and sacrifice. But we live in an unselfish society, in a selfish society. We live in a me first society. Okay? But we've got to change that. We've got to change that. So we cannot just always give our children everything their hearts want and everything they desire. Sometimes we have to say no. Even though sometimes, and it's hard for a parent, when you have the ability and you have the means to give to your children. But sometimes you know that it's not going to do them any good. And so sometimes God, God has the ability to give us everything that we want. But sometimes he withholds. Because he knows it's not going to be good to us. And it's going to lead us away from him. So he withholds. And it's hard. It's hard for God. Because he wants to. He has a heart of love. He wants to give us everything. But he wants us first to get rid of self. So that only he can come in and fill us totally and completely. True uh, transformative healing is dependent on love. Love can change you and it can change the world. Not the erotic kind of love. Not romantic love. Or not even brotherly love. Even though how important those loves are, uh, it is the love that human nature totally lacks, and that is self-sacrificing love. So, it talks here in my life today, it means that we must scatter uh, around us kind words, pleasant looks. These cost the giver nothing, but they leave behind a precious fragrance. The influence for a good cannot be esti- uh, estimated. Not only to the receiver, but to the giver. They are a blessing, for they react upon him. So your demeanor where you are and the things that you do. um, Is your speech loving and kind and pure? You know, we live in a society. What about our language today? I just want to touch a little bit about that, because I just see what happens with these kind of things many times. Our language today... um, um, in the last 20, 30 years since the pop culture started taking over, uh, people started using uh, language that kind of makes us cool, you know, and we use certain lingo uh, you know that makes us acceptable to the world. I dig that man, save my mate, and that goes on from there from the the late 80s, early 90s, to the use of Christian generic swear words. Dang it, freaking, flipping. We use all these words, and it's totally accepted in our society to the place now where the word C-R-A-P is used as normal language. I've I've already been to uh, professional conventions where the lecturers and the presenters from the front Present and use that word, the C R A P word, as if it's a regular word, and they don't realize this is a cuss word. And so we we talk like that, and I've seen that even amongst Christians. You know, we hear things like screwed up. That's a swear word. And we think that if we speak like that, especially amongst a younger generation, and I see it even amongst older people, that that we are becoming more accepted in our society. And then we're not even talking about the, the F word and the S word and the use of God's name. So God wants our language to be pure, to be different, to be kind and to be loving. And to create an atmosphere of love. Genuine love is as a precious attribute of heavenly origin, which increases in fragrance in proportion as it is dispensed to others. So the more we give, the more we will receive. The little attentions, the small acts of love and self-sacrifice will flow out from life as quietly as the fragrance from a flower. These constitute no small share of the blessings and the happiness of life. Again, from My Life Today, page 173. And so these kind of things are everywhere, and so if we just want to make use of them. So uh, if we look in the Bible at examples of self-control and contrast between self-control, let's look at the the, uh, story with Paul before Nero, how striking the contrast is when you look at Nero who wanted to get rid of Paul and wanted to kill him, and Paul who is totally and completely committed and surrendered to God. The countenance of the monarch being that the shameful record of passion and the anger and rage that is within him. And you compare that with Paul, who is the prisoner who tells the story of a heart at peace with God and with man. Uh, the results of opposite systems of education stood that day contrasted. A life unbounded self-indulgence and a life of entire self-sacrifice to God. Which one of those two do you want to be? We want to be the one who has the self-sacrificing love and the comprehensive self-control. Here were the representatives of the two theories of life: all-absorbing selfishness, which, accounts, uh, which counts nothing too, too valuable to be sacrificed for momentary gratification, and self-denying endurance, ready to give up life itself if need be for the good of others. And that's what Paul did. Um, If the soul is to be purified and ennobled and made fit for the heavenly courts, there are two lessons to be learned. Self-sacrifice and self-control. And those two go together. They're actually the same thing. They go together. Because you can't have the one without the other. Faith That Works, page 86. So, for physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health to be comprehensive and lifelong demands the complete gospel. Not just half of the gospel. You know, some people just take half of the gospel. We only look at God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. But what about his life? We only look at the, the emphasis of God's, of Jesus' death. And yes, his death is important. But his life is also important because he didn't stay in the grave. His life in us gives us the power to live this kind of life and to exhibit and to experience and to have comprehensive self-control you know Jesus said it's greater things than what I do you will do have you thought about that statement for for a moment you know how in the world can we do greater things than he did I mean he's God but he said if I don't go away the comforter will not come and the comforter is the Holy Spirit which is God And so Jesus says, When I go away, God, I will send God to come and live within you. And when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we will exhibit and show self-sacrificing love and experience and exhibit and possess comprehensive self-control. Because it won't be you doing it, it will be the Holy Spirit, God, within you. And that's what this is about. That is what this is about, that you will have. it. that's why Jesus said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. If anything good is going to get done in your life, it's not going to be by, be by anything that you've done. It's going to be all by what the spirit is doing within your life. But you need to let him in. You need to let him in and open your heart and uh, let God come in. And, and you will experience the full gospel, not just half. The strongest bulwark of vice in our world is not the iniquitous life of the abandoned sinner or the degraded outcast. It is the life which otherwise appears virtuous, honorable, and normal, but in in which one sin is fostered and one vice indulged. So God says, I don't want just nine-tenths of your heart. You know, Lord, I keep nine of your commandments, but I just have one that I just kind of like here on the side and do. You know, it's okay like that. You know, it's like saying, you know, I'm married to my wife and I said, to "You well, I'm married to you for 364 days of the year, you know. But just one day a year, I'm just going to go with this other woman over here. You know, this thing about it. i I in mean, 364 days, you know, I mean, what can she complain about? I only have this one day. Is it going to fly? No. God says, I want all of your heart. Everything. And so, God wants us to give him a complete and a total surrender. So, the test of self-sacrificing love uh, if, is not if we, we love those who are kind to us and to love us. Uh, it is when we even treat the, how we treat those that actually hate us. Because God says, I'm going to raise this bar, I'm going to make it more, I'm going to make it higher. Who go out of their way to make life miserable for us, those people. Is what God wants us to specifically love because he knows what it's gonna do for us in our own lives. We cannot love our enemies when we have selfish love. We can only love our enemies when God lives within us. That's the only way that it's done. When we quit focusing on ourselves as a center of attention, and instead focus on others, things start to change. And that's what God wants, he wants to change us. And it's the same thing with witnessing. You know, sometimes we think as Christians, you know, we need to, uh, I need to go out and witness, because if I don't witness, somebody out there is going to be lost. That's not true. You think if anybody out there comes to heaven's gate and say, well, you know, God, I'm sorry, I'm not here, I can't go in, that's because Derek didn't do his witnessing when he was down on the earth. You think that excuse is going to fly? No. The person that will be lost is me. So God knows if you don't witness, you jeopardize your own salvation and your own experience that God wants you to have. That's the reason why we witness. God knows us so well. And he knows that if we witness that it does something more to us, because God can finish the work in no time. He can reach out to the whole world and send the angels and do the job much better than what I can do it. But God knows that he wants me to do it. And he wants you to do it because it changes you. And that's what God wants. And he gives us opportunity every day to do that. And uh, allow God to come into your life and to do that. You know, Paul developed that kind of self-control and love in his heart. And so he had no earthly selfish ambitions, so he had nothing to be jealous about. He had no self-centered reputation, so he had nothing to fight for. He had no possessions, so he had nothing to worry about. He had no rights, therefore he could suffer no wrongs. He was already broken, so nobody could break him. He was already dead, so nobody could kill him. He was less than the least, so nobody could humble him. He had suffered the loss of all things, so nobody could defraud him. That's what comprehensive self-control is about. So, become the master of your circumstances and not become slaves. Because all our circumstances are allowed in our lives by God to make us into the people that He wants us to be. And so, if something bad happens to us, we need to treasure hunt those things and say, Lord, what is it that I can learn from this? What is it that you want me to to learn from this? And how can I become a better person? And how can I become more self-controlled? In this situation, First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 31 says, Paul says, "I die daily. A daily exercise of signs of prayer is what we need in order to build this self, uh, uh, comprehensive self-control." Go into your closet and spend time with God and ask him to come into your life. Read his word on a regular basis, daily basis. Underline the promises in red and uh, underline the commands in blue so that you can see what is it that God is telling us and promising us and you will find out that all the things that God is wanting us and demanding of us to do, he's given us ample promises to give us all the power to accomplish just that. But sometimes we read over these things, we don't realize it. But when we split them up like that, we can see that God has given us everything that we need. And Peter says that. God has given us everything that we need through his precious promises to be as holy and as godly as we want to be. And to actually be partakers of the divine nature of God. Claim the promises out loud in, uh, to God in prayer. And ask God if you are in compliance with with these commands. And then your prayer life will become refreshing and will produce results because you allow God to come uh, into your life. So, self-control. We shall see the medical missionary work broadening and deepening at every point of its progress because of the inflowing of hundreds and thousands of streams until the whole earth is covered as the waters covers the sea. Medical ministry, page 317. So, I want to challenge you this morning to choose. Choose comprehensive self-control. There's no downside. There's no bad things to it. There's no negative side effects. Put all on the altar of sacrifice. Don't just have a little dark corner in your heart there that you say, ah, I don't really want to do this. I'm going to keep that for myself. Give it all to God. Lay it all. Give yourself totally and completely to God and open your heart to his love. When we do that, 2 Timothy 1.7, which was our scripture reading, comes true for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power whose power is that whose spirit is it it's God's spirit and it's his power and love and the word there that was translated is self-sacrificing agape love so God gives us that love through his spirit that comes and lives within us and self-control because those things go together So that's what God wants to give each one of us if we are just willing to lay it all on the line and make that full surrender to him.